Welcome to the Fake For Real podcast, a series that goes behind the scenes of the temporary exhibition Fake For Real, a history of fakes and forgeries. I'm Katrina and thanks for joining me. Today I have Samina Badika, one of the curators of the Fake For Real exhibition. Hi Samina, welcome back. Hi Katrina, nice to be back. How are you on this rainy uh, morning? Good, good. Do you want to introduce today's guest? We have my, uh, my colleagues from Collections and we are going to talk about how we take care of the objects. Again, it's a very practical and technical part of the exhibition, but which is absolutely essential. I'm really very happy to, to introduce uh, Rocio Del Casar, who is Head of Collections Management. Hi, Rocio. Hello. Uh, and Vasilis Galanakos, who is Conservator in the Collections Department. Yes, hello. Th- thanks for having us. Hi, Vasilis. Thank you Hi. so much for joining us. At every point of every conversation that I've actually had in the in the House of European History about exhibitions, opening dates, if the lights are on, if the blinds are up, it always <laughs> comes back to the collections team. So as a visitor, I assumed objects were kept in glass boxes uh, away from the public and the lights turned on at nine and they turned off at the end of the day. But actually, it seems it's a lot more technical and a lot more precise than that. So what's involved in the process? What happens behind the scenes of behind the scenes? That's what we're going to chat to you about today. So just before we start, Rocio and uh, Vasilis, what is what are your roles? Ladies okay. first. <laughs> <laughs> so my role as a head of collection management is to manage the collection and the team that cares for the collection. So we are a team made of registrars, the ones that deal with contractual matters to bring objects in and out, transport insurance. We have a team also of conservators who take care of the physical aspects of the exhibition, as well as doing many other things. And we have a documentation part to our job, so to keep track of everything, to control, to locate objects and to to have the, the, the collection in as a higher standard as possible museum-wise. So uh, when, when we talk about conservation, it has to do with, with how you treat an object before you put it on display and also how you passively uh, uh, maintain its condition for, for throughout the, an exhibition. So it has to do with how you display it, the conditions in what in, in which it has to stay uh, on display, how you protect it. That's why you put it behind glass. It has to do everything, like the handling. Uh, you need to check it when it arrives to see how it has arrived. And then you take pictures, you document the, the state, and then you have to return it in the same way. So you're trying to keep it in the exact same condition it came in. Exactly. And also, like many times... Uh, a curator will say, I want to put this on display. And then you say, yes, we can, but we need to be careful of that or something else. So like you put another aspect on the on the whole okay. exhibition design and, and thought behind. Okay, so what would happen then if Samina and Ioana, you know, had an object and then the designers came up with a concept and they're so excited to install it. And then you're like, oh, no, we can't do that. This happens all the time. It can happen. <laughs> it can happen. But we, we, we go first to, OK, let's think about it. We don't say no directly because many times we are the people who say no. <laughs> and then we create problems all the time. And we say, yeah, but, you know, you cannot do that and you shouldn't do that. No, we try to make things work. Okay. But we always need to respect the needs of the object and and the possibilities that we have. So we try to introduce uh, other ways of displaying it or maybe put an object in a showcase on its own because it's very fragile or needs really special conditions. So it's it's a, it's a work on 
progress. Okay. Yeah, we, we coordinate, so we are working as a team. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we always feed back on the design ideas and the curatorial ideas. So we bring together the project. So if they wanted to display something upside down because it would look nicer conceptually, but it doesn't work for the object, we would say, well, this you cannot do it. Anyway, they don't ask for those things, but <laughs> it's just an example. Yeah. So there's no upside-down no. uh, objects <laughs> in the Until, until like, now. Okay. <laughs> Mina's writing notes like, make them upside-down. No, don't do it. <laughs> so it sounds very, it sounds quite precise, which actually is funny because the new Wonder Woman film, I think it's Wonder Woman 1984, means Mina had a, a very brief conversation last week. The character is supposed to be a curator. I actually have it written down where her role is. A curator of cultural anthropology and archaeology. Does that even mean anything? Yes, it does. It does. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. okay. It's okay. okay. They so looked it up in the dictionary. That's okay. <laughs> okay. But, but in the film, she doesn't file any paperwork for the m- movement of museum items. She flies one object herself to Cairo and she damages several works of art, including two paintings, one ceramic vessel and other objects. Oh <laughs> this is well, great publicity while, while, for our work. Yes, while, while doing what? They were damaged. Working. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Maybe she was fighting crime or something. Saving, I haven't seen it. the planet or something. Oh, yeah. Accidents can happen. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, but so <laughs> for a better good. If she it, was saving the planet <laughs> and one vast was knocked out. Like from a general sense, I know that that's, it's pretty bad, but from your careers and what you do, does that make you want to scream into the night? One by one. So if, um, normally if she's the curator, she doesn't need to worry so much about the documentation. That would be us. So we would allow the curator into the storage and we would know where the curator is taking an object and we would always update the location of that object because that's crucial when you have a huge storage, which is not the case. We are a small house still. We have a small collection, but in big museums. You, you can always lose objects if you don't know exactly where they go. Mm-hmm. That a person would never be alone on a storage. You, people <laughs> behind the scenes like us would be there. Then she can fly with an object to Cairo if she wants because there are couriers. So we, okay. we have the, the concept of the courier bringing an object. from. So lending institutions always, not always, but for important objects of their collection, they send somebody to take care of them. So she can, and you can bring them by hand. Yeah, if it's small enough. If it, if is it can fit enough. in a small box, you can hand carry it. So Otherwise, you don't carry it in no. your bag. You carry it properly in proper packing, in proper conditions of security. You have warned the airport uh, authorities, oh. so they know you're bringing something. Okay. You even reserve a, a second seat on the plane sometimes yeah. for you and the object, yeah. depending wow. on how. So you travel with the object. You you are picked up by a traveler, yeah. like an agent, a transport agent at Customs, the airport. Everything. So everything is it's organized. Okay. I don't know if it was like that in the movie, but there is there is like a, a <laughs> planning a, and yeah, organization that, that we do. Okay. Right? And then yeah. the curator or whoever is traveling Couring. with the object is curing the object. Yeah. Okay. And then when she destroys things, if it was for the better good, as I was saying, then <laughs> it's okay. I mean, normally we are not allowed to touch the to, to destroy an object, huh? mm-hmm. so there you cannot do that. But in the film, I guess it's just for the film. Sake. Okay, so it doesn't it doesn't irritate you. Yeah, or... it would. It would irritate me because <laughs> it can give ideas to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then in a general sense, when you watch films like Indiana Jones or um, oh, the Thomas it. Crown Affair, or you know the films where there's 
uh, artifacts and precious items and you know museum heists uh, <laughs> are you screaming at the TV like no. a surgeon would watching Grey's Anatomy even like that's not that's not Possibly. how that happens you know may I say that I studied history and archaeology as well and when I met my archaeology teacher he was nothing like uh, Harrison Ford which was a big disappointment <laughs> to me but um, yeah archaeology in the films is just the flashy part of it but uh, yeah definitely he's not doing the right thing no. <laughs> over there but I don't suffer because it's a movie you just no. put your head in another mode, I don't, yeah. mode. yeah okay yeah, I, I have to say I enjoyed it a lot, all these movies, especially when I was uh, little and I was looking at that and I was thinking like, wow, I would like to do something like that. Okay, Why not? so it inspired so, One thing that really bothers me when I see in movies is when they are leaning or touching a showcase or, or just treating the objects in a museum like the wrong way because I keep thinking this is going to trigger ideas to the public, no? You, oh, you know, okay. And when I see people leaning like in Lupin lately, yeah. this series on uh, Arsène Lupin, French series, they, 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 he robs a, a necklace a, in, in the Louvre of all places. And it seems like it's easy. It's impossible. But also he's, <laughs> I don't know, the, the way he moves around the, the object and the, he treats the object is totally, it makes me a bit nervous. I agree. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so then is that why you keep things in glass boxes? Because so as you said that it was to protect the objects. So is it more to keep the public out or is it to keep the conditions uh, for the object in? I would say it's it's a little bit of both. I mean, like, first of all, it's it's an easy way to, to have security. Mm-hmm. So otherwise you would need to have people uh, looking after all of your objects all the time. And you don't want to also display them in a way like that they're very, like, screwed on somewhere. You cannot do that. Uh, so you need to have some kind of a protection. So it's... For sure, it's security. It's easier, so you don't lose anything, and and it's a matter of protection in terms of like we we have a need to touch when we see something and we like it, mm-hmm. we we go closer and as much as we can, and sometimes we just like put our hands out and want to touch to feel the object. So the more we touch an object, we create problems to it. Like uh, you know, in in our fingers, we have. Uh, like oil and dust and all these like um, substances that it's the same thing as you are touching something in a crime scene and you leave your fingerprint that Mm -hmm. this thing that you leave on on a surface it's left on a surface of an artifact when you touch it so if you do it once it's okay but imagine like in an exhibition that you have like I don't know hundreds and hundreds of people coming every day and we all start touching things you leave something behind. Everyone is leaving something behind. And this creates like a, a surf, an extra surface on the surface of the artifact. And this will attract dust. You can damage the object. Yeah, you damage the object. Like you start a process of deterioration by that. Okay. Because like it, the dust will attract humidity. And then maybe like this organic substance, like the oily substance that you leave, could also have like, um, it could affect the object, especially more inorganic materials. Yeah, some some objects are more, let's say, sturdy and, and uh, like stone or 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 ceramics, but then metal work uh, materials made of metal are more easy to deteriorate because of that. So we try to avoid even ourselves when we are touching objects when we have to work with them. We will use gloves. Okay, so when Samina and Joanna decided, or you know, are you all agreed of, of the different objects that were going to come in? 
to the exhibition and, and the design was incorporated as well. Did you have to look at every object and decide, OK, this is how we're going to make sure that it's well, sorry, there, there was two jobs there as well. You know, you had to contact the lenders. Was that you, uh, Rocio, had to do that or was that the curators? And then you have to organise the courier, which I presume is not DHL. And, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, you have to come up with the conditions for that. You know, is it very technical? What do you take into account then? Um, okay. So if we start from the beginning, yeah. the curators think about the exhibition, what they want to tell and with which objects they want to, to tell this story. Mm -hmm. So they are the first ones that contact the, the, the owner of those objects to see if it is feasible for them to lend to this exhibition. After this first contact, we take over and we discuss all contractual and practical arrangements with the lenders. We bring the objects, and but in the meantime, throughout all this process, the conservators check what are the materials, how we should display this. We discuss that also with the lender. Do you agree that we put this on open display? Do you prefer that we put it inside a showcase? Does your showcase need to be at a certain level of relative humidity conditions? Because, for example, metal, as Vasil was saying, is very fragile in terms of uh, the, the, the relative humidity levels. It needs 40% or even less. And the normal relative humidity that you have could be 50, 60. So you need to protect that object not only from touch, but also from the action of uh, humidity on, on its surface, because otherwise it corrodes. So the, the whole process, as I say, we don't put an exhibition together in one month. Mm -hmm. It takes one, two years to discuss all these things and to come up with a proper solution for each object. And the role of the conservators is very much to guide us on how best to display that object. Yeah, it happens in parallel, actually. It's like when you start discussing about about an object and if you can bring it on as a loan, you you already need to start the discussion of the way you're going to display it. And, and also you need more information from the designers, how they're making the showcase, uh, the material that they're going to be using, also the, the company that is in, installing the actual like uh, hardware of the exhibition. And then you need to go back and forth uh, talking about audit testing, if the material is good, if it's acceptable, if it's not acceptable, and how you can go forward in, in this aspect. And we do that for loans, but we do it also for our collection. It doesn't mean that you have to be careful only for the things you're bringing in, but you also have to be careful for the things you already have to worry about in your collection, because they will go uh, side by side with mm -hmm. the objects you bring on loan. And you need to make sure that when you bring something, it will not introduce um, a new issue to your collection, that it's not infested, that it doesn't have any issues. And sometimes, I don't know if it is relevant now, but sometimes the curators want to show some objects that are incompatible amongst themselves together because the story is told through these three, five objects that they want in the same showcase. We had this case, didn't we, in Semina? Uh, yeah. So some objects are on metal, others are on ivory, Others are on ceramics. So ceramics, as Vasily was saying, perfect. Normally, it's the most studied. It, yeah. it gets affected far less than other types of objects. But ivory with metal, ivory requires 50% of relative humidity and metal 30%. How can you display those things together in the same showcase? So if it is necessary for content reasons, then we have to find a solution. So you would create a box in a box. So what did you have to do that for? Which which object? So we had or this, um, one example would be the, the relics, the relics that we have on display. We have a metal and, and jewellery relics from medieval ages. And then also we had um, 
um, a small plate of ivory. Yeah. yeah, and the small plate of ivory was installed in a little box of made of perspex with its own, because we have to put, in order to control the relative humidity for our uh, listeners, we have to use silica, silica gel or um, silica cassettes to control the levels of relative humidity and you, you have to purchase those in the right level. So the ivory, we bought a little uh, cassette at 50%. We put it together with the object inside this box and the box inside the showcase the showcase. Yeah. where the cassettes were at 30%. And then we have to control that the things are behaving as they should. So we have data loggers. We read the conditions on a daily basis. So we produce graphics and we see if there is an impact or not of mm -hmm. the um, conditions, of the general conditions of the museum inside the showcase. So that was multiple objects within the one showcase. What about an object like the mermaid, for example? That has loads of different um, elements and loads of different materials, does it not? What materials are in that one and how do you... How, how do you keep uh, all it in the, all the materials from what we know from the lender is is organic they are organic so they have uh, produced a, a new object in the past uh, using different sorts of of uh, materials from animal uh, i don't know uh, bones and different hair so different types of things in order to create this effigy of a of a mermaid so the the lender was very um Pressing to to make sure that the conditions would be very well maintained in this showcase, so we do the same thing. We have a, a, a let's say a higher uh, relative humidity because this is the region of you need to use for for organic materials is above fifty uh, and up to sixty percent. And for that particular object, we had one of those couriers, as we were talking about Wonder Woman. Mm -hmm. So the lender will, for, for these important objects that are fragile or that are very important to the collection of the, of the lender, they send this person that oversees every step of the process. So that person will oversee how we, they condition check it. So they check what uh, state the object is in before they pack it at their premises. Then they accompany it to the packing then you put a fantastic packing that is made with NASA materials, to be honest, it's, mm -hmm. it's quite something. The, that person oversees the loading of that crate onto the truck, the offloading when it arrives to us, sometimes also travels with the truck. So everybody is, is keeping a super close eye onto that object to ensure that there are no vibrations, no hiccups in the, in the process. And that person was there to oversee that where, while we were taking it out of the, of the crate, we were handling it properly. And if I may interrupt oh, yeah. you just for our listeners. So this is uh, this was presented in 18th, 19th century Europe as the mummy of a mermaid. Now, it's an exhibition about fakes and forgeries. So, of course, we have mermaids. But this was something uh, produced in 18th century, maybe even earlier Japan, and then brought to Europe and presented as the the mummy of a mermaid as a curiosity so this, so, but yeah. it was it's really as a as an object as an artifact is really a masterpiece so it's really someone put a lot of work into producing this so-called mummy. Uh, mummy of a mermaid so yeah. a lot of material together and it, it, it looks quite scary so yeah actually that kind of uh raises a question in my mind if the mermaid is fake mm -hmm then why are you looking after fakes? Because you can just make a new fake, no? Or Oh, no, because oh, this no. is about history of fake making as well. Okay. But correct me if I am wrong, curator. <laughs> but 
uh, you, what we are doing now is we are faking other things and and this exhibition deals with what was important at different periods of time and how people used to fake those things. It's like uh, now with the COVID uh, vaccination certificate, people are faking it because they want to travel. You know, mm-hmm. That's important now. They fake it now. In the past, mermaids and all this oniric world and, and uh, monsters and beasts and oddities was very important and pe- people didn't travel and didn't know about these things. So somebody thought, okay, let's put together a mummy to, to ensure that people do believe in these things and they are worried and they are scared about going into the sea or whatever it was. I don't mm. but, yeah. So, yeah, fakes do uh, acquire value over time because, uh, yeah, because they speak to us so much about the, the time they were created in. Okay, so you can't just make a new fake. Then. So no, it it was just just as just as difficult as any as any other exhibition. But I would add actually something that hasn't come up in the conversation yet is the fact that we installed this exhibition at the height of the second wave of the pandemic. Indeed. So all this um, we were talking about about a lot about couriers, and I was reminded of the fact that during this uh, second lockdown, so October 2020, objects could travel more or less, but people not really. In what Rothio <laughs> was saying before about couriering, like what we had to do many times this time is like a telecouriering in yeah. a way. So we had uh, a case with the, the Rijksmuseum, for example. We had to to ship them over from, from Amsterdam and the people from Rijksmuseum could not come. So for that reason, we had like a, a, a Zoom meeting uh, I was doing the um, the checking and the unpacking of the object with uh, the curator from from Amsterdam, like in an online connection. Uh, over the and, and then afterwards, <laughs> we we went to the showcase to to try it on with the the mount maker. Uh, then we agreed on the way that it would be mounted. We stopped the meeting. Afterwards, when the mount was ready, we had a new meeting to to check again that everything is okay. We checked the light levels and everything. And then with the presence of the courier from afar, we uh, closed the showcase and we finished the the work. And in this this particular project, which was quite a challenge, um, some loans had to be cancelled because the lenders were not ready not to send these couriers so much. They trust the, the need for a courier to oversee the whole process. So... Some lenders dropped out at the very last moment because they could not send that courier physically. We found compromises, but the the whole installation had to be planned completely differently from normally. So you normally work in various teams of quite a few people. When when you get an object, you have to have the conservator to check that the condition of the object is correct, that it is fit for display. Then you have the mount maker, which is a person that produces the the mount, the support, to show the object at its best. Then the conservator comes in and puts another layer of protection between the support and the object. And then you have the art handler. The art handler is the one that actually handles, as the name says, the object and puts it onto display. So, for example, um, a costume needs to put be put onto a mannequin. So you have the mannequin, you have to fit the mannequin to the, the shape of the, the costume that you need to put, and then... The art handler will take the mannequin and put it inside the showcase. Or, or the paradami that we have. So this fake yeah. parachutist from the Second World War, that was very difficult to mount. Mm-hmm. Because Indeed. it's like it's like a, a doll, so like a dummy, but bigger and also very precious because it's one of the last two surviving fake parachutists from the Second World War. They were organizing these uh, fake landings or fake uh, bombings. 
they had this fake parachutists, they had bombs on their backs, so they were blow themselves. Real bombs. Real bombs. Okay. So fake parachutists, real bomb, trying to hide the real place of the bombing. So they uh. organized fake bombing in one place in order for the enemy to be... Throw them off the sand. Yes, yeah. to, to send troops in that part. And they would destroy themselves as they landed. But in like two cases, we uh, they were not the bombs did not go off. So we have in uh, in two museums two of these fake parachutists. One of them is in our exhibition, and it was uh, very Quite difficult yeah. to for to that mount. one, for example, for textiles. You really need a textile conservator because it's a very particular job. You don't install the same way mm-hmm. a document than um, textile. You know, so like for example, what we did with the paradami, we have a. A skeleton like a plate from the backside. It's uh, we also try to stuff it a bit to give it a feeling of of um, how it would look like. And it has uh, magnets on the back, like from the inside, like uh, um, and protected also that they don't affect the the textile. So it's holding in place with different magnets, and uh, you don't see it, and it's just actually floating uh, on on the showcase. So there's always like you need to stage it. You need to make it look also impressive in a way it's not about just laying it flat or just putting it in inside the showcase in any in any way and are you happy that people have to wear masks inside now does that help with the humidity and the <laughs> breathing and the air i wouldn't say it, it makes it such make an impact difference. like it would be more the impact is happening like for example like in a rainy day like now imagine having uh i don't know hundreds of people coming in with wet clothes and and wet shoes and everything then this could trigger changes in relative humidity inside your okay. micro environment in the museum so it depends on on what what conditions you have outside and how much like the movement of people could create um uh, yeah and this is why fluctuation me- sorry no, no, this sorry. is why uh, many times at the entrance of the museum you have to leave your coat if it is wet you have to definitely oh. leave your back uh, your rucksack because when you move with a rucksack you can hit an object without noticing because it's on your back and this is the reason why for our audience <laughs> some people get super crazy yeah, your umbrellas yeah. your things like Umbrella. that could mm. could all, all be like all factors of yeah maybe the the staggering of of guests is a good thing then you know with with the covid regulations now you can only have a certain amount of people coming in at a time does that help or i think it's it's a bit sad to see museums so empty of yeah. course it is no good when you go to a busy blockbuster exhibition and you can barely see yeah. the, the objects that is not a pleasant experience i think we need to strike the right balance the the house of european history is very um unique in that it's uh it's got people from 16 different nationalities um, it's got different cultures. It's uh, it's a, got a transnational approach. It's a pan-European museum. Does that lend itself well to to your work and your role? Does it have any any positive impacts on, on your work? Well, it does because we, amongst ourselves, we speak quite a few languages. So yeah. when we are borrowing from lenders across Europe, we can handle communication with those lenders if they don't speak English. Yeah. So amongst us, how many languages we cover? Quite a oh, few. I think many. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and that helps. And also, because we are working across Europe and across the world now, we have for the permanent exhibition, for example, we have 300 lenders from across the world. It helps for the mobility of the collections at EU level and worldwide. And we all follow the same standards. So it, it helps for to build trust amongst the institutions. It happens. I, I think it's it, you, you need to build up... Um, trust and you to show that you have the experience and that you can deal with the situations so that uh, 
the other institutions can can work with you and and you build it up for the future yeah we're all coming from different places but we all have our experience and our backgrounds and we follow the same standards as other museums uh, abroad and apart from that is also like having people in this uh, context that have worked in other museums and other countries before you can always have the let's say personal and knowledge and and connections with other institutions that could help for for things that you need to do Rocio and Vasilis, thank you so much for opening our eyes to the deepest and darkest secrets of the museum world. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks a lot. I mean, it's not my first exhibition, but definitely my first podcast. So <laughs> I, hope I, did, I hope I did well. And maybe behind it's not, the scenes. Maybe it's not going to be the last one, so let's see. Yeah, behind <laughs> the scenes, lot. behind the scenes, or behind, behind the scenes. scenes. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm sure everyone listening will agree that the next time uh, we're in a museum, we'll be looking at the displays uh, completely differently. And to our listeners, thank you for joining the third episode of the Fake For Real podcast. Join us next time where we'll be chatting with the learning and events team at the House of European History.